Episode 14, City of the Magi. Ellison Carter awoke and it wasn't pleasant. Her hands were gripping the steering wheel and her head felt like a stew of gray sludge. Fragments skittered through her brain, driving in the storm, something horrible in the sky, a scream, then flying. Why wouldn't her eyes focus? Slowly her vision cleared and she swung around. Her parents were gone. And what was this? This wasn't her van. The seats were caked with filth and she could barely see through the grime-encrusted windows, and she was parked somewhere, a city street. What had happened to the hurricane? Outside there was moonlit darkness. Bending down, she squinted through the windshield. Black skyscrapers stood silhouetted against a giant moon. It couldn't be. Not again after all these years. It was the city of her childhood nightmares. In a single moment, Ellie was a little girl again, trembling and terrified. Then the whispers started. She was about to scream when her jaw clenched and her eyes hardened. No! She wasn't a child anymore. And long ago, she had vowed never to let them do this to her again. Why was she here? It didn't matter. All that mattered was the power of white-hot rage. So they had dared to bring her back. Grabbing the door handle, she jerked and shoved. A rusting groan echoed in the stillness. Jumping out, she slammed the door. As the boom thundered, she rushed into the street. All right, I'm here. You want to do this? Come on down. The sound of her voice reverberated in the empty buildings, and the only answer was a whisper of wind. She waited. Nothing. So where were they? Where was the circle of lights? Where was the sound of the crying woman? As the moments passed, her rage turned to puzzlement. Slowly, Ellie began to do something that she had never done as a child. She began to examine her surroundings. It was then that she realized that this wasn't her street at all. This one appeared to be in the heart of the city, and mounds of dirt covered the pavement as though no one had driven here in a hundred years. Her street had been clean. Something else. High up, all the buildings were swathed in masses of spider webs. Had they been that way before and she hadn't noticed? She didn't think so, but to a sobbing little girl they might have been invisible. The only way she could see them now was to look up at the moon. There were so many of them the city must be full of spiders. The thought made her skin crawl. Okay, so if this wasn't her childhood nightmare, what was it? Was she dead? Had she been killed in the hurricane and sent to her own private hell? Ellie remembered Dagon talking about souls he had met on his out-of-body travels, people who had died but didn't know it. They would wander for a while in some in-between world, then awful creatures would appear and drag them away. She spun around. No creatures yet. All right, stop this. Get control. Use your brain. What was the first step in any difficult situation? Examine options. There appeared to be only two. She could wait where she was, but what was the point of that? Or she could go someplace, start walking. Walking would show that she wasn't afraid. But where should she go? If this really was Chicago, she knew Chicago. Why not visit a museum? What a wonderful opportunity to avoid the crowds. The thought was so insane that she laughed. How about the Art Institute? If this was a world of the dead, what kind of art would she find there? Walls covered with Hieronymus Bosch? Now that would be disquieting. Briskly, with her head up, Ellison Carter began to walk down the middle of the street. Though she didn't want to, she couldn't help glancing into the buildings. 
Once they had been stores, but long ago all the windows had been blasted out and now the insides were choked with debris. A block down she came to a corner. Above it hung a broken sign, Dolph Street, and below that State S. Could this be Randolph and State in the heart of the city? Not exactly the State Street she remembered. In front of her lay the same broad avenue, but on either side loomed the hulks of shattered buildings, and the pavement in between was thick with huge dead trees. An entire forest had risen through cracks in the cement. Some of the trees had even grown through the rusting hulks of cars, lifting them off the ground, wood meshing with steel to form car trees. And high up, the entire forest was swathed in glistening webs. She shivered. Question. How long would it take a forest to grow tall and die in the middle of Chicago? Nastier question. How many spiders would it take to blanket a whole city? Suddenly a huge shadow dimmed the moon. Ellie looked up and froze. A block away, high in the air, hung a monstrous form. From its black body extended eight legs so long they spanned the gulf between the buildings. How many spiders would it take? Not many of those. As she stared, it moved. Slowly, with a dreadful grace, the creature began crawling toward her over the tops of the trees. She was about to run when a calm voice spoke from the darkness. Don't be frightened. He won't hurt you. They're quite gentle. Several feet away sat a beautiful little girl with ghostly eyes. Black hair fell to her shoulders, and her skin was like pale moonlight. She wore a simple gown of shining blue, and her feet were bare. Though the girl couldn't have been more than six or seven years old, the voice that had spoken was not that of a child. She stood up. When they were young, they were great warriors. Now they're old and very wise. Aylward is curious about you. The spider was still crawling toward them. Well, I'm not curious about him. If you can talk to him, tell him to stay away. I can't tell him to do anything. And very soon we'll need him. So it is necessary for you to control your ignorant fear. What? Ellie stared at the child. He can sense your terror, and it causes him pain. Aylward is one of the great artists of his race. From him has come some of the most delicate weavings that have ever been created. More than that, he is my friend, and I don't like it when his feelings are hurt. For the first time in her life, Ellison Carter was speechless. Her logical mind told her that none of this could be real. A dead city with a huge artistic spider and an impertinent child who spoke like a forty-year-old. Not a drop of substance to it. But assuming it was an hallucination, what kind of brain damage would create such utterly lucid nuttiness and then struggle to respond to it with rationality? Was this what insanity looked like from the inside? A rat warren of internally consistent madness? Whatever it was, how was she to deal with it? Start screaming like a child? Or rush pell-mell into the whole racking absurdity and go wherever it led? Screaming like a child just wasn't an option. Her pride wouldn't allow it. Please give your friend my sincere apologies, but I've never liked spiders, and one the size of a dump truck is a bit intimidating. The little girl was silent for a moment, looking up at the slowly moving monster. Because he has a forgiving spirit, Aylward accepts your apology and chooses to overlook your prejudices, which is a relief because in a minute we need to ride him. Okay, there was a point where accepting absurdity came to a screeching halt. 
Excuse me, what did you say we need to do? Ride Aylward. Uh, no, I don't think so. Look, I don't know who you are, but I have made it a habit never to ride spiders. You'd better change your mind, because where we have to go, walking isn't possible. Stop. We've skipped a couple of beats here. Let's go back and start over. Just exactly who are you and what is going on? The girl looked intently at her. Ellison Carter, I am quite prepared to leave you alone for several months until you develop a cooperative spirit. You know my name. I'm not impressed. Let me give you my analysis of the situation. You know my name because very likely I am close to death and you are nothing but a byproduct of my oxygen-starved brain. However, since I am trapped in this hallucination, I must respond as though you actually exist. So that's the game we'll play. If you want me to cooperate, I would suggest that you lay aside your supercilious attitude. After all, I am a guest in what appears to be your neighborhood, and I need some questions answered. If that's a problem, then leave and take your friend with you. Ask your questions. You know my name. What's yours? Mira. Okay, Mira, continuing to play our game. What is this hellish place, and why have I been brought here? It is a place of learning, and you've been brought to begin your education. Oh, really? And who's going to be my teacher? Because I am the oldest of the Magi, the task has fallen to me. However, I don't think I'll accomplish much. You're very young. Also, you were stubborn and arrogant from years of getting your own way. Now there is little time, and you have been given a great opportunity. It remains to be seen what you will do with it. Just exactly who stuck me with this great opportunity? That will be revealed when appropriate. Now, will you ride Aylward or not? Not! Then I will leave you to wander the city, which will become increasingly unpleasant as the days and weeks progress. The girl turned and started to walk away. Okay, wait. For what? Ellie took a deep breath. Let's try this again. Can you put yourself in my place? I'm driving in a storm, I black out, and suddenly I wake up in a city on the edge of hell. In this city, I meet a weird little girl who wants me to ride a spider. If you were me, wouldn't you have a serious question or two about that? The first lesson in your education relates to trust. In the past, you've trusted only yourself. That must change. It is necessary that you trust me without any more questions being answered. This may sound like a cliché, but trust doesn't just happen. It has to be earned. Really? If you were drowning, how long would it take for you to trust a boat that came to save you? Would you flop around in the water, questioning the reliability of its construction? So I'm drowning? You've been drowning for a long time. Well, in a metaphoric sense, that may be true, but this doesn't appear to be metaphoric. I've been placed in a position where I have no choice. Of course you have a choice. What, to wander alone in a city full of elephant spiders? Or you can come with me. Where? That will be revealed in due time. Ellie stared at her. Okay, all right. Clearly I've got to go with this flapping weirdness and hope that at some point either I wake up or die. Does that mean you'll ride, Aylward? Hell, why not? What have I got to lose? My sanity? Mira turned and nodded toward the huge creature that had stopped and was hanging motionless in the trees. He began crawling again. Aylward's skin is very delicate. Take off your shoes and leave them. You won't need them any more. Leave my shoes? I don't think so. They cost three hundred dollars. The girl laughed. It was a joyfully unpleasant sound. You have impressive taste. Ellie looked down. Her shoes hung in grimy shreds. That's a cute trick. 
No trick. In this world, things are what they are. Fine, whatever. She kicked them off. As she stood barefoot, a shadow crept overhead. The spider had dropped from the trees, and his massive body hung above them at the height of a two-story building. Slowly his legs bent, and his bulk descended until he was squatting on the ground. Be careful climbing on. We don't want to hurt him. Do what I do. Going to Aylward's side, Mira grabbed his black fur and began pulling herself up. Hurry, he's old, and he doesn't like squatting. Approaching the spider, Ellie gulped. I can't believe I'm doing this. She grasped the fur. It was very soft and slightly sticky. Though her stomach churned, she found it easy to climb. It was like pulling herself up on a furry boulder. When she reached the top, she found the child seated behind the spider's bulbous eyes. Come over next to me and hold on tight. When we start climbing, lean on to him, and his stickiness will keep you from sliding off. When Ellie was in position, the girl whispered, Okay, Aylward, we're ready. Slowly the spider rose in the air. Then gently, gracefully, he began to climb, first to the tops of the trees, then into the webs that spanned out from them. Suddenly his body tilted upward. Ellie scrunched down. Mira was right. The stickiness held her. In a few moments they were on the top of the first row of buildings. Here Aylward leveled off and began moving from roof to roof across a carpet of webs. They traveled for several blocks. Then abruptly he entered another steep incline that led up a woven tunnel between two skyscrapers. When they emerged, the height took Ellie's breath away. Now they were moving in long strides over a plateau of webs that connected the highest levels of the city. Here only the tallest buildings were visible, and these were tented in such thick webs that they looked like obelisks swathed in gowns. The shimmering lake came into view, its vastness lost in the mists. This is incredible. How could my brain have come up with something like this? I must have the most amazing imagination in the world. Mira shook her head in disgust. Yes, I'm sure that's the answer. It's all about the fascinating synapses in your brain. Okay, now we're up here. Where are we going? The girl pointed. Ahead was a monstrous building that dwarfed all the rest. The Sears Tower? We have another name for it. Please don't tell me we're going to climb that. It's the only way to get to the top. Don't worry, it's perfectly safe. Perfectly safe? Of course. Just tell yourself it exists only in your imagination. The spider was moving very fast now. In another minute, the gigantic wall loomed in front of them. The web reached only a quarter of the way up the side. The rest stretched naked into the moonlight. Aylward didn't hesitate. Leaving the web, he began to climb. Ellie gasped, and her mouth went dry. Oh, dear God, I think I'm going to throw up. Mira laughed. Since it's only imaginary vomit, that shouldn't be a problem. However, spiders hate putrid smells, so if there's an outside chance that this is real, vomiting would make him jump around. Thank you for that information. Beneath them, the city vanished like a fading mirage. The buildings that had appeared so enormous moments before became shadowy lumps and bulges. Against the expanse of wall, even the spider seemed tiny. Avoiding the broken glass that jutted out from every floor, Aylward strode across the brace beams and around the corners. From level to level he climbed until they reached the central tower. Then it was straight up. However long before they got there, Ellie had closed her eyes. It was the only way to keep from retching. The climb seemed to last forever. 
but suddenly there was an abrupt change of angle and the journey ended. The spider stepped out onto the roof. Ellie opened her eyes. We made it, oh, thank God. Once more, Aylward squatted and Mira slid down. Very carefully, Ellie followed. To her surprise, when she stepped away, there was no stickiness on her skin or clothing. Without the slightest fear, the little girl rushed to the very edge of the roof. Come here, I want you to see something. Is it really safe to stand that close to the edge? Just watching her made Ellie's legs turn to water. Of course it's safe. Come here right now. I won't let you fall. Like a two-legged worm, Ellie inched across the roof until she was standing a foot behind Mira. You won't be able to see unless you're next to me. Couldn't you just describe it? No. Groaning, Ellie moved a step closer. Okay, whatever it is, show it to me fast. Mira didn't answer. Instead, she lifted her arms and with shining eyes looked out over the city. Then she began to sing. In a sweet, clear voice, an ethereal melody echoed into the darkness. The words were in a language that Ellie couldn't understand, but just hearing them filled her with a strange, deep longing. Somehow the song took her fear away. She found herself looking over the edge. Far below, something was happening. Beneath the silvery webs that shrouded the city appeared a thousand pools of glowing light. Like soft stars, they seemed to float in the misty darkness. When the song ended, Ellie whispered, What are all of those? My brothers and sisters. Each night I call them to their great work of watching. Watching what? Come and see. Moving to the middle of the roof, the girl lay down. Ellie joined her. Now what? Now wait. For a moment they were silent. Then Ellie turned and looked at her. Your song was so beautiful it made me think of heaven. What's happened to me? Am I lying unconscious somewhere about to die? No, you're lying on a roof and you're quite alive. Of course, as an hallucination, you'd have to say that, wouldn't you? Hallucinations have to believe in themselves. Why? Internal consistency. The brain strives to bring form from chaos. Human brains create chaos. That may be true, but there's still a logical consistency to it. Do I need to point out the logical inconsistency of that statement? Look, I'm just trying to understand what's happening to me. Most things can't be understood when you're in the middle of them. They have to be lived and felt. Only later will you know what they mean. But if something isn't real, it won't mean anything. Does all of this look like a dream? No, but hallucinations can appear totally real. Then how do you know anything is real? Maybe your whole life is nothing but one chaotic delusion. I've considered that. But at least it's a substantial delusion that I can depend on every morning, and there's one way I can tell the difference. What's that? Pain. In the real world, pain is everywhere. The brain would try to protect itself, so I don't believe hallucinations would cause pain. How about nausea? A few minutes ago you wanted to vomit. I think that's different. Then how about this? Mira rolled over and kicked her hard. Ow! Ellie rubbed her leg. Does that help your epistemological problem? No, it just means I have to expand my categories. Mira rolled her eyes. This is going to be so difficult. What about love and joy, Ellison Carter? Aren't they real? Does reality always have to hurt? I don't know if it has to, but usually it does. Love and joy are like rainbows. They're pretty, but they're far away and made of mist. Pain is always there. Once you accept it, you can get on with your life. To live that way would be misery. 
It would cost many tears. Ellie's eyes hardened. No, it doesn't. I haven't cried since I was ten years old. Mira just looked at her. Okay, maybe once or twice since then. You've asked me a lot of questions. Now I have some for you. Go ahead. You have a cousin whose children were in a plane crash. Ellie stared at her. How do you know that? But why am I asking? If you're an hallucination, you'd know anything I know. I can't tell you how tempted I am to throw you off this roof. After the plane crash, a girl died, but her sister and brother lived. Did you ever talk to them about what happened? My cousin didn't want them talking to anybody. They had psychological problems, and who wouldn't after what they'd been through? Did you see a change in them? Of course. How could there not be? Their plane crashed in the ocean, and they floated in a raft for a month. Why are you asking me about this? Because there are things that you need to know. How were they changed? It's hard to put into words. Were they afraid and angry? Not that I could tell. Aren't fear and anger what you'd expect after such a hideous experience? Probably. So how were they changed? I guess I'd have to say that being with them you felt a kind of heartbroken joy. My cousin sent them to therapy. Mira laughed. Did it work? The psychiatrist gave up. I think they drove him nuts. She paused. You know what really happened to them, don't you? They talked about another world. Did they come here? Into your hallucination? All right, assuming this is real. No, they didn't come here. Where did they go then? There are many worlds, and all are connected. But yours is at the center. What happens on Earth flows out in giant waves to all the rest. So the world we're in now is connected to mine? It's a mirror world. What does that mean? It reflects the reality of yours. Then why is it dead? Mira didn't answer. Are you saying this is what mine really looks like? But there are no people in it except you and your friends, and I don't think you're people. My world is full of people. If you stayed until sunrise, you would see them. They're only visible when the sun shines through the dust of their bodies. So people are just clouds of dust? Dust draped around eternal spirits. What about the spider webs? If this is a mirror world, then my world must be covered with them, and there aren't any. Webs of illusion have been woven to keep you from seeing what's really there. Why? Because if your eyes were opened, you wouldn't have the freedom to choose. To choose what? The meaning of your death. Ellie shivered. Are you telling me that I'm going to die? Every one of your race dies. You know what I mean. Yes, you're going to die. I don't know when, but I'm here to help you choose how. That's easy. I want to die of old age in a soft bed surrounded by friends and family. Mira laughed. Do you really want such a boring death? Yes! Then you must choose a boring life. And that isn't what you've chosen so far. Ellison Carter, I'm here to help you find the life that you want. How you choose to live will determine what your death will mean. I don't want to talk about this. Who the hell are you? You look like a child, but you speak like you're a thousand years old and you sing like an angel. Is that what you are? We are the watching ones. We watch and learn, then whisper to those of your race who are willing to listen. And so we have done through all the ages. In this mirror world, we choose to be children, for there is no other way to see. Though many of us were lost, the remnant remains. So you're some kind of angel? Not in the way you think. If this is a mirror world, then you're in my world too. We are, but the time for talking is over. 
look up. Ellie looked up and caught her breath. The moon had grown in size. It took up half the sky. The mountains and craters stood out like terrible scars. Slowly it darkened and pieces began dissolving away. What's happening? Mira didn't answer. The last of the moon disappeared and the darkness blazed with stars. Ellison Carter, prepare yourself. Once more Mira sang. But this time the song was not beautiful. Higher and higher it rose in a wail of anguish. Then other voices answered until the whole sky was filled with great crescendos of sorrow. When they reached their peak, deep within the universe, a blue star began to burn.